Amen. Let's give it up for the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Anton and the worship team. Thank you, Keith. Isn't this a day the Lord has created? We rejoice. This is the day the Lord has made. Um, There's so much. uh, I want to make this brief. Uh, For those of you who have probably lots of questions, we do have a congregational meeting at noon, and we'll answer many of them there. Uh, But this is a day that the Lord deserves all the glory. Uh, For all that we've been through, I can tell you, brothers and sisters, as I joined the elder board two years ago, um, you will, some of you in eternity, will find out what some of the core four elders had to go through. They were villainized. There was emails that were coming at them that when I became part of the email distribution group, I started to read. Uh, These brothers, because of their godly character, stood true for you. Uh, And I just want to, first off, publicly honor the four elders, if they could stand up. Varshel Fonet, Keith Richardson, Toby Hall, and and Rocky. Where's Rocky? Where's Rocky? Okay, Brother Rocky. Can we honor them in the... And then I'd also like to honor the elders who joined after that, Brother Carlton, Ezekiel, um, and, the el- and the pastors, Eric, Eric Standup, John Gorin, Emmanuel, uh, and everybody on the staff of Abundant Life, if you could stand up, if you're on the staff of Abundant Life, stand up. And finally, everybody who is a volunteer, can you stand up? We'd like to honor you before the Lord. So just thank you for your service the last two years. This is the day the Lord has made. And brothers and sisters, when we get to eternity, many of these brothers labored through in pain. They were, suffer- they were battling cancer. Uh, I hope that more than the, the, the eternal blessing that they, that they have, I hope that every one of you will take your opportunity to thank them. We owe so much to those who serve uh, in the body, and, and uh, at the end of the day, this is a family. So I praise God uh, when I think about everything that's happened, that the Lord has planned, has got beautiful. When you, know, when you think about Romans eight twenty eight, all things work together for our good if you're the center of the will. Uh, and when we think that all that's been through, two church splits, we wish nothing but the greatest blessing on the two churches that are formed from here. We have no bitterness. We have tremendous amount of love. But I pray this prayer. This is the prayer I prayed, okay? First off, when all of that stuff happened, there's two things the Lord spoke to me. One is, the pain that you're going through is a fraction of what Jesus went through when he was led like a, like a lamb to the slaughter. So we can taste a small beast because we stand up for our conviction. It's a mosquito bite compared to what Jesus faced. And when we enter a small bit of persecution, that's what we have to face. Lord, if we're standing up for you because we have a conviction for you, it's a small part of being led like a sheep to the slaughter. Number two, Galatians 1.10. If you seek to please man, you can never be a servant of God. So you have to let go what people think about you. You got to let go. If the email comes in that's slandering you, you say, Lord, I'm standing for your conviction. I seek to please you. I don't seek to please man. It doesn't matter what man thinks about it. And of course, if you're living in sin, it's a different point. You should be listening to the people who are speaking into you. But if you're standing up for God, don't let the opinions of man decide what you should be doing. Honor God, and that's the only thing that matters. And then what I said, Lord, this was the third prayer I prayed. Lord, we're a smaller number. We're about 600 now. But in a Bay Area of 10 million people, 
There's more than 600 people who need to hear the word of holiness and discipleship and outreach. And I prayed every Sunday that I've gotten here, and certainly every Sunday that I've been up at the pulpit, for every empty chair. And I want you to join me in that prayer today. Because this is a season where I believe the Lord is going to bring someone like Brian to take us to the next generation. Uh, we pray that there would be someone in their 30s or 40s, he's in his early 40s, that could help us uh, take the word to the community. And I believe as you look around all these empty chairs, the Lord is going to fill this place with those. We're not going to be just seeking numbers. That's not what this is about. Uh, we're not going to lower the standards of this church. But I believe that there's more than 600 people in a Bay Area of 10 million that need to hear this word. Don't you? Yes. And that's what we're going to pray for. That's what, when we started off this journey, uh, coming in from O'Brien to here, there was about 600 people, and the Lord added the right people here. We want to continue to be praying that there is, the godly standards are still high in the church of Jerusalem, but as we preach and pray that the Lord will bring in the right people. And when I hear some of the testimonies that we heard this morning, this is the face of abundant life. You saw Eric Stevenson, who's been here faithfully every Sunday, giving the announcements. That's the face. We had Sister Sophie. An Asian American coming up to talk about finances. And then we had Brother Arcadio Ramos, a Latino. Uh, I loved, I mean, I'm, he could keep preaching here. And I, we have our Bible study on Thursday nights. I thought to myself, I'm going to shut it down one Thursday and join him. Because I've had a passion for the Latino community. Uh, and we've got to see a lot more in that community be saved and, 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 and inspired by the Word of God. I also have a passion for my own community, the Indian community. In India, 1% of the Christians are Indian. Okay? Uh, sorry, 1% of the Indians are Christians. I'd like it the other way around. But, uh, uh, but, but when we think, and many of them are here in the Bay Area, we have a few Indians. Uh, but, you know, we've got to be more than sort of the sole remnant in the Indian community. Uh, for those of you who are Indian, I'm praying the Lord will do a revival. There's about a half a million Indians, I think, in the Bay Area. And uh, I'm praying that many of them will be attracted to the Word of God, and if God be, if God will, at this church too. So, Brother Mohan, there are a few of you who are Indian. That's my prayer too. And for every one of your ethnic communities, pray in this year and the years coming that the Lord would bring you three people, at least three, that you can talk to. That's what got this church really, really going. When I remember when I came here in the late 1990s, I was in my 20s, I just finished business school, and I came here, and everyone was talking about the life that was at Abundant Life, the incredible outreach work. Brother Toby Hall has just done this again and again, year after year. There are churches that ask me, how does Brother Toby do it? Because we want to learn from him. But this was the, the nature of what Abundant Life had. And of course, such an incredible ethnic uh, diversity. But the combination of a Bible-believing church along with ethnic diversity is what's been our hallmark. We're going to build on that. And I believe that this is a day where the Lord's bringing us somebody new to take us to the next level. And that's what I want to talk to you about a little bit more today. My title of what I want to talk about today is to build on this great news is the Acts chapter 2 church in the Silicon Valley. How does the Lord want to build an Acts chapter 2 church in the Silicon Valley? If you go to Acts chapter 2, it's a beautiful passage. Okay, uh, you see this group of 120. In fact, the, the, yesterday afternoon, we got some of the leaders and those who have been laboring with us. And the group was about 120, and I said the same thing. On that day in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, there was 120 that gathered. And they were just seeking God in prayer. They were seeking God for a revival. 
They didn't have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, which is what they needed to transform this person, Peter, that was ashamed of Jesus, denied him three times, into someone that became transformed after that. But if you read in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, turn with me to Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, this was after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, brethren, what should we do? And Peter said to them, repent, and each of you should be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children, and for all of you who are far off, as many of the Lord will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who received his word were baptized, and that day were added to their midst 3,000 souls. They were continuously devoting themselves to the apostles, teaching the fellowship and the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place with the, the, the apostles. All those who were believed together had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions, and were sharing them as anyone who had need, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day, those who were being saved. And you look at that story, one of the greatest revivals that happened in the first century. Sadly today, the 21st century certainly is focused on numbers. You talk about churches that go, you know, from 30 to 3,000 or 120. But these were 3,000 of high quality that had a desire for holiness, that had a desire for discipleship. And there were four things that you see they did um, in, 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 in the verses there. Um, one was study of the word. The two was prayer. I would say prayer without ceasing. Number three, love and fellowship of the saints and the four breaking of the bread. Study of the word, prayer, love and fellowship, and breaking of the bread. And that's what I want to talk about today because those are the four. There's many things, but those are the four were the hallmarks of the first century church that we want to study, that we want to make part of our life. And then the Lord can do some amazing things in 2016 and beyond. Now the first thing, they're not necessarily in that order in, that, in those verses uh, that you read in Acts chapter 2. Uh, but as you think about them, it starts with the study of the Word. One of the things that's been the hallmark of abundant life and will continue to be this. I was so uh, glad and gratified to uh, hear, you know, that's Pastor Brian's passion is the verse in Psalm 119.11. Thy word have I treasured in my heart that I may not sin against thee. And that's been what we have sought to do. Many today in the 21st century focus on words that tickle their ears. We hear in the, in the, new, in the, in the epistles, Paul talks about in the latter days there will be preachers and teachers who seek to tickle your ears. But the Word of God, as it says in Acts chapter 2, one of the greatest things about that passage that, that I love about was not that it was just consoling or comforting. It was convicting. It says it pierced them. And we need to have the Word of the God here at the pulpit that's constantly convicting. If we want to hear a consoling or a compassionate word, we can turn on the TV to Dr. Phil. Okay? There's plenty of that. Sadly, that's become today a lot of televangelism is. Sadly, today, it's much of what you hear at the church, a word that makes you feel good 
emotionally. And there's, there's absolutely a place for consolation. There's absolutely a place for comfort. But if the Word of God is not a two-edged sword that's challenging us, it's like an athlete that basically the only thing they hear from the coach was, great job, I'm glad you came in last. Great job, I'm glad you came in second last. Great job, I'm glad you came in third. But what you want from a coach is saying, you did a great job, but let me tell you the three or four things you can improve. Let's talk about how you can get your act together, wake up a little earlier. Those are the kinds of things that an athlete longs for. And that's what the church of God needs to to, to constantly seek for. Many of you have been Bereans that have come to us and said, listen, if this pulpit is not going to be preaching the word of God, we'd rather go somewhere else. And that's the spirit that we need to continue to cultivate here. So the word of God becomes the essence, the essence of what flows all life. Um, We should almost be measuring almost measuring. You should be measuring me. You should be measuring anybody who preaches here by how much of the scriptures they share with you, as opposed to how much psychology uh, that's shared. And today, unfortunately, so much of Christianity, read the word of God at the beginning of the message, and then there's lots of psychology. And we have to get back to the basics of what built the Acts chapter 2 church. It's not going to make us popular, brothers and sisters, but it's going to bring the right 3,000 people that came to Acts chapter 2 who have a desire for holiness, that have a desire for discipleship. Absolutely important. And then when we hear the Word of God, it's not God just supposed to go through one year and, and go out through the other year. James chapter 1, verse 23 and 25. We know this verse. The, when we hear the Word of God, it's like a mirror. It says in James 1, 23, 25, If anyone is a hearer of the Word... Then not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he is. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides in it, has become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. That man will be blessed in what he does. So the way in which we practice what we hear is not just you know, hearing a good message and, and certainly being convicted by it. But real church happens not on Sunday morning or Saturday evening. It happens on Monday. It happens on Tuesday. It happens on Wednesday. It happens on Thursday. It happens on Friday. That's real church. Sadly, many, many Christians in the 21st century hear a wonderful word. They are inspired by it. They're convicted by it. They get into the car, the first thing that breaks out in the car is a fight between the husband and wife. This happened to you. It happened to all of us. But the doer of the word means that we apply what we hear today. And we say, Lord, apply that in my life so that something that I've heard, I can live out. And then what happens is that fruit becomes something you can share with somebody because it's practical. If it's just something you've heard, it stays in your head. It's head knowledge. But for it to become true revelation to you, you practice it during the week. And just one small thing becomes life. Uh, and then you're able to share that with somebody else. So the teaching of the word goes out from the pulpit. It lasts in people's ears during the, during the day, during the week. They implement it in their lives. And then they are able to teach others. So it's not just one person here, but the entire cascading of this entire, through the entire uh, body of Christ. The second uh, key attribute of this here uh, is prayer. And I love the fact that that Brother Keith emphasized this. This is a church that loves prayer. Uh, this is a church that has beyond just the, 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 the prayer and the 40 days of consecration has made this part of the hour of power. Sister Hill, we affectionately call her Mother Hill. She is a pillar of prayer. 
I've not met many, many who have that passion for prayer. <laughs> Sister Carolyn, sitting here. Sister Alyssa Picker, she's somewhere here. Raise your hand. Um, she is a pillar of prayer. prayer. Sister Valerie, Sister Monique. Um, you know, if the Lord can't use brothers, He will use sisters. Okay? For prayer, brothers are also not. They can be pillars of prayer. But to me, these sisters in the church are examples of pillars of prayer. And often we will find... You, you think that the person who preaches up at the pulpit has got, you know, an important ministry. Or maybe you think it's the most important ministry. They're often like the mouth in the body that you hear. But, you know, many human beings can, com- can continue life without a mouth. You can't continue without a heart. And many of these pillars of prayer are the heart that's pumping. That's pumping behind, behind that mouth that speaks. So don't be deceived just because a ministry that's prominent, what you see is the most important. The prayer ministry and what goes on behind, behind the scenes is probably just as more important. And I'm grateful to the Lord for the many prayers. I pray that many here will be gripped by that, that sort of pillar of prayer, pillars of prayer. And we see that to be true in the life of Jesus. If you remember Mark chapter 1 verse 35, this was the life that Jesus lived. Often the disciples, they'd be distracted by all the carnality of the world or they'd fall asleep and you'd find Jesus praying. Mark chapter 1 verse 35, this was the normal life routine of Jesus. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house that he was staying in, and went away to a secluded place to pray. That's our Savior. That's the Lord we follow. So let may we continue to be a church that's inspired by prayer, uh, that makes that the sustenance of how uh, we continue to grow. Number three, love and fellowship. This is so important, but it starts with every one of us knowing that the love that Jesus has for us is that we are united. I pray, Lord, that two or three are gathered, as it says, there are you in our midst. Uh, and that we have that love for each other that transcends everything else. Now, if you look at the, the, many of the first century churches, they started off with that incredible amount of love. Let's look at one example in Ephesians 1. Many of us know the church of Ephesus, Ephesians 1, verse 15 to 17. Uh, Paul actually praises the church of Ephesus. This could have been the Abundant Life Church in, in, in uh, Mountain View. For this reason, it says in Ephesians 1, verse 15, I too have heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints. Okay, you can put you as abundant life. And I do not cease to give thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the, the God of our Lord Jesus Almighty, Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation for the knowledge of Him. So that love of, for the saints that the church of Ephesus had gave them that incredible spirit of revelation, which is what let them live their daily life. The sad thing, though, is this. That same church of Ephesus, not very long later, maybe a few decades later, so this was probably written around 40, 50, 80, 60, 70, around 60, 70, 80, maybe 90, 80, when uh, the Apostle John was the age 90, uh, we read this letter in Revelation to the church of Ephesus. That very same church that was on fire because of the love that existed there. This is what um, God, Jesus has to say to them through John in Revelation 2 verse 4 and 5. This I have against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore remember from where you have fallen and repent 
do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. So brothers and sisters, it starts with that love that we have, not a kumbaya kind of love, okay? That the world has. There's plenty of that. But this is a love that's deep. It's an agape kind of love. That's a love that basically says, I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to give you all the appropriate, not just encouragement, but an edification, exhortation, correction. Uh, I'm going to go to bat for you where needed. I've got your back in a spiritual sense rather than just an emotional and a physical sense. And that's what the Lord is calling us. There's no basis for fellowship if there isn't that core love and love for the saints. But once we've built on that love, the Lord wants to bring us together in fellowship where there is unity. And that's a sad, you don't see unity often even in homes where there's two people, husband and wife. And the great mystery today is where two or three are gathered in my midst, Jesus says, there I am, there can be unity. And the greatest thing the Lord is looking for is unity. And when I think about this, that's the amazing thing I believe the Lord has done. Sadly today, you don't see unity in churches, you see unity, um, you don't see unity in families. And it takes two very fundamental things that we've got to come to understand is the model for the way the, the Lord set up the church. First off, we have to know that the way God set up the churches was the apostles appointed elders. Let me read to you in Titus, um, um, sorry, Acts chapter 14, verse 23. We've got to always go back to the scriptures and say, how did the Lord set up these churches? In Acts chapter 14, verse 23. And they, that's the apostles, had appointed elders for every church, having prayed with fasting, and then commended them to the Lord in whom they believed. Okay, that's Acts chapter 14, verse 23. That is, and that, in other words, the apostles appointed elders in every church. And let's go to the other passage, Titus 1, verse 5. Titus 1, verse 5. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city. So in every church, in a city, and in every city, I directed you, namely, if any man's above reproach, and these are the qualities of an elder, above reproach, husband of own wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, we'll talk about that in a second, overseer who must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, that means not easily uh, fighting, not, not fond of sordid grain, hospitable, loving what's good, sensible, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word of God in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able to both exhort sound doctrine. Now when you put those passages of scripture along with what you see in Revelation 2 and 3, this is important because a number of you will probably have this question, how do you accommodate a lead pastor in the context of elders? And we see very clearly in Revelation 2 and 3 that Jesus speaking through John, because he sees this um, person in white, that's a picture of Jesus coming to him, addresses the letters in Revelation 2 and 3 to a messenger at the church. So it's very clear that at those churches, there was one person that had the, the, the gifting perhaps, the teaching, the anointing, and probably was the primary messenger of the Word of God, provided that group of elders and pastors were servant leaders and submitted to one another. And that's how we believe the godly church um, is to be run. 
Um, and we believe now, as we think about uh, Brian, he fits very much in that mold. Um, he is a servant leader. We have sought as elders and pastors to be servant leaders. That means we serve you. Uh, we want to make sure that the, 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 the well-being of the church is what we wake up in the morning praying for. Many of us have 40-hour jobs, but we're spending extra 10, 20, 30 hours praying on our knees for the church. And that's the, the servant leadership. But the other side of servant leadership, everyone likes to talk about leadership, uh, servant leadership and being a servant and being served. We like to get on a plane and we like the flight attendants to serve us. But there's another side of that coin which people don't like to talk about much, which is submission. You cannot have servant leadership with also appropriate submission. Come back to that plane analogy. We'd all love the flight attendants to serve us, but we know there's certain rules on the plane, right? You got to buckle your seatbelts at a certain point in time. Okay, you can't be walking up and down the aisle, um, you know, when they've got that sign on. Uh, sometimes you unfortunately see some unruly people who are not willing to do that, then the plane has to take a long detour, come back, and they got to get the police to get these folks off. So sadly today, we live in a world where submission is not understood. Children, submit to your parents in the Lord, because it'll go well with you. It's a, it's a law. God is a God of discipline. Um, wives, submit to your husbands, but husband, love your wives and lay down your life for it. And that's the same place where, as we think about submission of a body to the elders, the pastors to the elders, and elders to each other, it's something that's sadly today, something we don't see often. The resistance of, of, of submission. I've sadly seen churches where a pastor tells me I can't submit to the elders. I can collaborate with them, but I can't submit to them. Elders that are fighting with each other, writing emails that go around other folks about another elder. That should never have a place in the body of Christ, and certainly never have a place in our church, because we've got to stay true to, the, to that unity that will keep us together. Started with love, with unity, and understanding the basic core principles. There's two sides of the same coin, servant leadership and submission. And we see that today, where so many unruly things happen in the world. The world is filled today with people who don't believe in submission. Think about employees who don't want to listen to their managers, children who don't want to listen to their parents. Teenagers or folks who feel, listen, I don't need to listen to the authority. Um, you know, gangs who don't want to listen to the police, to the authority over them. So the authority that's appointed in the church has been appointed by the Lord, by appointed by God, has to be servant leaders. But then we can follow that, that godly example uh, of, of, and then they can be perfect fellowship in that type of church. And then when you think about number four, the, the fourth thing that's just, I think, for me, the most, um, you know, the most exciting part about where um, the, the church can have an impact is through that example of breaking of bread. So we talked about three things so far. Teaching and study of the Word. Number two, pillars of prayer. Number three, love and fellowship. And the fourth is the breaking of bread. And every one of you, when you hear that, say, well, they came together, they had communion, they broke the bread, and they drank the wine. That's true. But the breaking of bread is a picture of something. It's a picture of debt to our self-life. It's exactly, we're partaking of that divine nature. We are partaking of the death of Christ. And it means more than just coming here for a symbolic gesture of passing the bread and the elements and drinking the wine. It means that, Lord, I want to enter into that same life you have had, where you died to self for 30 years, and you, you preached out of that for the last three and a half years, and then you died on the cross. 
And that's where it starts. But once you've got the depth of self understood um, and partaking of divine nature, then can begin to happen the fruits of the Spirit. And this is the fruits of the Spirit that every one of you can participate in, not just the person who is, who is preaching up at the pulpit. I want to show you a couple of verses that will hopefully, ones you may have, read, may have heard before. If you haven't, you look at it with a very fresh uh, lens today. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 12. This talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And um, I want to talk about two things here that I think everybody at Abundant Life can do. Because often we think the persons who get all the prominence are the ones who are the teachers and the preachers. First uh, Corinthians 12, verse 27 to 31. Now you are Christ's body. Abundant life. You are Christ's body. And individually members of it. So you're a heart. You might be a mouth. You might be the eyes. You might be just the appendix. Not seen. You know, people are still wondering what's the exact role of appendix, but it's there in the body. You might be the toe. You might be this little nail heard this before, you know, when we feel itchy, there's not much the mouth can do to help me, you know, get a rich off the back. This little nail helps me. Each of you are individual members of the Christ body, and God is appointed in the church. Check this out. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, miracles, gifts of healing. These are the ones that people see. Now check this out. Here's a wonderful gift. It's called helps. Did you ever see that before? It's called helps. If you've got the gift of helps, you're just as important in teaching and preaching. Administration. Maybe God's given you just the program ability to run things and run things well. That's called administration. Kind, various kinds of kinds. All are not apostles. All are not prophets. All are not teachers. All are not workers of miracles. All do not have gifts of healings. But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And one of these, these are examples of which I'm going to talk about in a second. And this is what I want to show you is a more excellent way. Now put that together with another passage we'll look at a few chapters later. In 1 Corinthians 14. I'm going to show you something again that you probably have never seen before. 1 Corinthians 14. Now he talks about that special gift that every one of you can seek for. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1 through 5. Pursue love. Yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And every one of us who hear this word prophesy says, well, that means foretelling the future, or it's someone who's a prophet, or someone who interprets a tongue. Maybe true, but let's look at what the definition of prophecy is here. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But the one who prophesies does three things. Speaks to men. I'm going to interpret some of these words in in, in a paraphrase. Edification and exhortation. And I'm going to substitute the word consolation to be encouragement. So we can remember three E's. Okay? It's a little easier. But encouragement, edification, and exhortation. And if if Paul is saying that every one of us ought to seek the gift of prophecy, it means we've got to start doing these three E's. Can anybody here have the gift of encouragement? Absolutely. Encouragement means you come alongside our brother or sister you feel needs that word of encouragement to say, I'm praying for you, or if there's something I can do to help you. All of us have the opportunity to be an encourager. That's the most important gift. It's more important than teaching and preaching is the gift of prophecy, encouragement. Number two, edification. Edification takes that a step further. It's that coach who says, listen, you did a great job. I want to encourage you. But here are the two or three things you can do a little better. That's edification. 
And then you can take it even a step further. Exhortation is you have a relationship with this brother or sister, and it's like your kid who's trying to put their finger in, in the flame, and you say, listen, or lighten a match. This match is wonderful, but you could burn the house down. That's an exhortation. That's not the time for, hey, listen, I want to encourage you. You're really beautiful. I'd love to tell you how good you are at lighting this match. It's a time for exhortation. So there's a time for all three of these E's, brothers and sisters. Encouragement, edification, and exhortation. And can we, can we do that? Is that possible? Every one of us can participate in the gift of prophecy. And as I see that, I see that happening in this church. This is a church that served and I want to encourage you to serve even more as you do it. Not because there's obligation here. Not because you have any condemnation to do it. But it's like a home that's a family. Imagine if, you know, I've shared this before. If I treated my home as a restaurant, okay? Uh, and, you know, I come in there expecting the meal to be a certain temperature, a certain taste. And then I put my feet up on the table after I'm done. Uh, you know, not just would it, I would be sleeping on the couch. It would be a miserable home, right? <laughs> But most, most 21st century churches treat the church like a restaurant. If you average out the tithing, it's about 50 to $100 people are paying per day to come here. Okay? Perhaps. Not just our church, but any church on average in the churches. I expect if I'm paying $50 for a seat in this church for the appetizer to be good, well, that's the quality of the music. Or, you know, I expect the teaching to be of a certain kind. If it's not, Eh, you know, I'll go find and put my $50 somewhere else. Or they treat like a Broadway musical. That is a restaurant. But when you're a family, you say, Lord, what can I do to be part of this? Because I need to feel that this is my family as much as this. And there are absolutely places here where we need to continue to serve. I'm not saying this with any condemnation. But when you go to the children's ministry, there are sisters there who have been serving Week after week after week, brothers do. And they don't get a chance to, to come to the meetings, and we need more volunteers there. I've certainly taken on myself to say, I'm not going to put my kids in the children's ministry if I'm not going to at least serve one Sunday during the year. And I would say to you, if you've got children, and if you put your children there faithful every Sunday, find some way in which you can serve now, this is not a message for the, for the visitors and for those who have other things going on. But if you've been a member of this body and you have been taking and taking and taking, it's time for the Lord to say, how can I be a cheerful giver? And when the Lord does that over and over again, we become more of a family. That love and that fellowship continues to grow and life comes out of it. It's not just a taking culture. And the world sees, I want to be part of that. I want to be part of that incredible community that's giving and giving and giving and participates in an outreach fashion. And that's what the Lord wants to do. So brothers and sisters, as we wrap up, I am tremendously encouraged about what the Lord um, has in store for us. All that, that, that Keith um, shared in terms of, you know, my sending a LinkedIn email to Brian Loritz. I'm just claying the potter's hand. Okay. And when I saw this, 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 um, uh, you know, an article once that talked about some of the more dynamic young, uh, preachers of our time, I looked at all of them and Brian Loritz's name came, um, to mind and I, you know, went and started looking at a few of his sermons. Um, and, uh, I sent a few of them to Arshel and Keith and I said, man, this would be great to have him come and preach. And yeah, Brian's right. I did have a little bit of an ulterior motive in my head, but I didn't, you know, uh, put that out in the email. 
And what happened over the course of the next few weeks and months is completely a God thing. It's completely a God thing. And no man can, can arrange the circumstances, everything. The way. And we don't have any trust in just one man. If you heard, I would encourage every one of you, weren't here, uh, I think it was January 24th when he preached Abundant Life, go back to alcf.com slash sermons or alcfnet.net slash sermons, the sermon site, and listen to his message. You will hear, I felt like he was preaching kind of his vision of what he thinks the, the next uh, several decades of the Lord tarries is going to be like. Uh, and it was a few hours before he actually signed to join us. But that is a man of God that's going to be pointing us to the cross, not to himself. And But from that, we will find that the gifting he has. 30 years ago, God brought us a young man named Paul Shepard. And God used him in an incredible way. We felt that it was at this time that the Lord needed to bring to us someone in their late 30s, early 40s. Someone who um, had the gifting was not focused on just themselves. And I believe as we think about what the Lord is going to do through our midst, every one of us are going to pray the prayer that all of these seats that are empty, we're going to find at least three people that need to hear that word of God, not because we're focused on numbers, but I believe in a Bay Area of 10 million people, there's more than 600. And God's going to use Brian as that clay in the potter's hands to make that happen. He's done that before in Abundant Life. I believe he will do that again. Amen.